I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Got our, our microphones working. <laughs> oh, we're recording. we're recording. Amazing. We are live. <laughs> we're live. And it took us <laughs> a damn minute because... What, half an hour? <laughs> oh my God, it took so long because my microphone didn't want to work. Uh, we tried all the things. Unplugging, plugging it back in. Turning it off, turning, turning it back it on, on. Restarting it. Praying. <laughs> flipping every switch on the laptop. Getting angry. Oh my God. <laughs> it's fine. We're here. And you know what the problem was? It was plugged into the wrong plug. Wrong port. <laughs> Different Stupid. ports. Mm. Anyway, we're here and everything's good and fine and dandy. You know what I mean? Dandy. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Whew. Yep. Are you excited for the story this week? Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Uh, you've spent a lot of time researching it and I kind of know the gist, but I don't really know any of the details. So yeah, I'm excited like, to learn. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really well-known story and I did spend a lot of time researching, but also like there's so much. It's insane. So it is. It's Jonestown. Jonestown. We're talking about Jonestown. Yep. And it's it's a it's a nut it's nuts you know. It is nuts. We, and you put the way you put it like put it into perspective for me like it was the biggest um <clears throat> excuse me it was the biggest uh not like artificial mass death. Uh, before 9-11. Yeah. Something like, well, how did you say it? Yeah, I mean, it, that's exactly right. It's it's just, um, it was the biggest, you know, mass killing that wasn't due to natural causes bef- before 9-11. It, it was huge. It was a really big number of people that died. And we're going to talk about it because it's crazy. But there were but, a few survivors, so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Right, right. we're, we're <laughs> talking about it. Some people survived, right? For sure, yeah. Um, but what would, like, I'm just thinking, like, what is a, a non-artificial... Like, like mass death, like a humans. volcano or something? Yeah, I guess like, you know, a natural disaster. Oh, like a tsunami? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but this was due to a person, yeah. as was 9-11. Who's you know? the person? Um, Jim Jones. That's Jim that's Jones. great segue. We're going to start talking about Jim Jones. So, Jones was born on May 13th, 1931, in a rural area of Crete, Indiana, to James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Putnam. Um, Economic difficulties during the Great Depression led the family to Lynn, Indiana in 1934, where Jones grew up in a shack without plumbing. So, not great. That sucks. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Understatement. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But, so, Jones was a voracious reader who studied Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, Mahatma Gandhi, and Adolf Hitler. He also developed an intense interest in religion. He found it difficult to make friends as a child. Um, His childhood acquaintances recalled him as a, quote, really weird kid who was obsessed with religion and death, and they alleged that he frequently held funerals for small animals on his parents' property and that he had actually stabbed a cat to death once. So, Wow. Okay, so early signs, not great. No, terrible. Looking pretty bad. Yeah. Looking very serial killer-esque. For sure. Yeah, he's a crazy guy, but... So uh, Jim's father was an alcoholic and didn't have a job for most of Jim's life, leaving the financial burden all on his mother, which made for a very stressful environment, to say the least. Um, Jones, as, uh, Jones and a childhood friend both also claimed his father was associated with the Ku Klux Klan, which uh, had become very popular in Depression-era Indiana. Jones recounted how he and his father argued of, uh, on the issue of race and how he did not speak with his father for many, many years after he, fu- he refused to allow one of Jones's black friends into the house. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, terrible. Well, I mean, he's part of the KKK, so like, right. are we surprised? No, for sure. And I mean, uh, actually, one of the good parts of, you know, Jim Jones, he's a lot, but one of the good parts of him is that he does do a lot for the black community and like you know he was big into like um integrating and you know inclusive yeah inclusivity and you know being uh an advocate for people of color so that is definitely a good part of him but 
But, you know, he did. (laughs) But then there's the (laughs) part where he, you know, is responsible for so many deaths. So not a good guy. But, um, you know, that's definitely a redeeming quality. Sure. No. Well, I mean, well, it's a good quality, but he's beyond redemption. I, I feel sure. I I don't know the story. We're going to get into it. So, um, because his father was a drunk and his mother was always working, Jim spent a lot of his time alone and kind of just doing whatever he wanted. He was just like a kid on the run, you know? Right. And this is the forties because they moved to Indiana during the depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they moved to Lynn, Indiana in 1934. So 30s, 40s. Okay. And his mom is the main, like... Breadwinner? Yeah. In the 30s and 40s. Yeah, which is Fuck, why like... it was, like, tough for them. Yeah, no They shit. lived in a shack without plumbing. So. What did she do? I don't know what she did, but she... But his father was kind of Just good for nothing, so... gone, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things that Jim ended up doing in, you know, all of his spare time was he joined a Pentecostal church... One of his neighbors felt bad for, you know, this kid who just wandered around and invited him to come to church just so he would have some sort of sense of community. Um, and Jim loved church. It was the first place he really felt at home and he, he, was, he felt safe and had a real sense of community, like I just said. And Jim became really interested in preachers specifically. He saw them as much more than even a fatherly figure, but looked at them more as gods themselves. Um, Jones's parents separated and then he relocated with his mother to Richmond, Indiana. Um, in December of 1948, he graduated from Richmond, Richmond High School. (laughs) I don't know why I had a hard time saying that, but I did. Richmond High School early with honors. Um, and Jones, uh, not remarried, he married a nurse, Marceline Baldwin, in 1949 and the two relocated to Bloomington, Indiana. So lots of moving. (laughs) Damn, so he graduated high school early with honors and then is married by 18? In 1949? Mm -hmm. I mean, do the math. I don't know. I don't know. When was he born? Um, he was born 31. Okay. 1931. Yeah. Sure. Life off to a seemingly good start, you know? Yeah, I mean, struggles along the way, but... Yeah. He's making it work. So Jones attended Indiana University for two years and then took night classes at Butler University, earning a degree in secondary education in 1961, 10 years after enrolling. Um, in 1951, 20-year-old Jones began attending gatherings for the Communist Party USA in Indianapolis. And so, like we said earlier, one thing that Jim became very interested in from a very young age was racial equality. He wanted to be an advocate for people of color and was very concerned about the discrimination the black community faced. So Jones was surprised when a Methodist district superintendent helped him get a start in the church, even though he knew Jones to be a communist. Um, In 1952, he became a student pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church, say that five times fast, but later claimed he left the church because its leader, its leaders forbade him from integrating black people into his congregation. And around this time, Jones witnessed a faith healing service at Seventh Day Baptist Church. Um, he observed that it attracted people and their money, more importantly, and concluded that he could accomplish his social goals with financial resources financial resources from such services so he's like really just trying to figure out how he can get as many people you know in his grasps and he's realizing oh well faith healing is pretty sick for that so so what like describe faith healing like i guess i kind of have an idea of what it is but i don't really know yeah so it's kind of like i saw there was like a small clip of him doing it um at one of his services where he basically had this woman at the front of the church and there's obviously the whole church watching um and he you know she had a broken leg the day prior and he's like your leg is no longer broken like and then (laughs) and then and then he's like run around and she gets up and she runs around and she's like oh my god my leg is fine what so yeah did she really have a broken leg i don't know but people thought if you have a broken leg you are not running around well she did she got up and she ran around the church which is why people looked at Jim Jones as like a god. They were like, "What the hell? He's magic." Which That's is why crazy. he's yeah, he he got so much 
so many people like following him so intently yeah so is this when he starts like implementing like tiers of subscription to the church <laughs> for 1999 <laughs> you can join our basic subscription yeah no this reminds me of uh there's a quote from the founder of scientology i believe mm -hmm. where it's like if you really want to it's something like if you really want to to get money start a religion it's something like that i'm oh, butchering it but yeah yeah that's what this reminded me of Mm -hmm. So he's going to get the money, but it sounds like he's going to put it towards a good cause, like trying to, because it seems like this is the early 50s, so mm -hmm. he's probably going to, this is the time of segregation, he's probably yeah. going to try and end that. Yeah, he, he actually does quite a bit for that, which is really great, um, but he... And we're going to talk about this later, but, you know, his followers loved what he stood for and, like, what their the people's temple could have been um rather than what it rather was rather than what it was and what it turned into for various reasons and we're going to get into that a little bit later um but jim jones kind of like deteriorates very quickly so it, really yeah okay. like it could so this have is been, the good years yeah this is this is the good years i mean still like manipulative and very calculated and he's not a good guy and he knows it like he i mean he's good in the fact that he does a lot for um like segregation and whatever and that's really great and like making a place where people of you know whatever background can come together and you know have a common thing so that's good but he is very self-serving and it's also mm. like he does a lot more that's very destructive so we're gonna get okay. into it yeah no i'm also it's curious that he's a part of the communist party in the 50s like i think wasn't this the time of the red scare like yeah, I think so. McCarthyism. Sure, yeah. So. But he, he also, like, um, I don't know. Like, he, he has very, like, socialist views. And, like, they... We'll, sure. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Okay. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. So he's getting into the whole faith healing thing now. And so Jones organized a big religious convention to take place June 11th through 15th, 1956 um, in Cattle Tabernacle. Tabernacle? Cattle Tabernacle. Cattle Tabernacle. Is that... I don't know. We'll okay. just run with it. We're just going to run with it. So he arranged to have Reverend William M. Branham, lots of names, hmm. who was uh, a well-known healing evangelist and religious author at the time. So, you know, he, he organizes this convention and he kind of has just like a really big religious headliner so everyone's like super hype and they're like yeah like religion yeah you know like <laughs> it's funny so. you use the word headliner <laughs> well that's that's how it was described when i was you know reading about it was like he was like the headliner um so jones was able to begin his own church after the convention which had various names up until it became the people's temple christian church full gospel so that's that is a mouthful to shorten the name people's temple is what okay. they pretty much call there it there you so, go yeah, so what's interesting is that Jim was way less interested in the religious side of things. And in fact, a lot of people think that he was an atheist himself. His wife was even quoted saying that he was. So Really? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. But he has this intense, like, obsession with religion. Yeah, so because he it was brings just... people together. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, he used religion as a tool to bring people together. Um, and Jones was known to regularly study Adolf Hitler hitler and father divine to learn how to manipulate members of people's temple who's um, father divine is he the headliner guy no yeah, i miss that yeah no it's like adolf hitler yeah i know that guy so that's obviously going down a bad path but father divine sounds like a reasonably good guy he was um an african-american spiritual leader um he was known as the messenger in his early life so he's just a religious figure Okay. Yeah. So. It's a weird combination. Adolf Hitler and Father Divine. Well, he's studying a lot of people. He's just, he's trying to get as far ahead as possible, you know? Okay. So, yes. Yeah, no, I'm just like wondering, like, what what does he pull from Adolf Hitler that would serve him in this, like... Well, the uh, very cult aspect of... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the manipulation tactics, the, you know, a lot gotcha. of that. So, um... Yeah, so Divine told Jones personally to, quote, find an enemy and to make sure they know who the enemy is, as it will unify those in the group and make them subservient to him. So, very, like, calculated. Okay. common you know? enemy? Yes. Sure. Yeah, so 
The New York Times reported that in 1953, Jones was outraged at what he perceived as racial discrimination in his white congregation, so he established his own church and pointedly opened it to all ethnic groups. Um, to raise money, he actually imported monkeys and sold them door-to-door as pets. What the fuck? Yeah. Door-to-door salesman of monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Knock, knock, knock. Would what? you like a monkey? <laughs> like, oh what does God. that look like? You, do you happen to be in the market to buy a monkey? <laughs> what the fuck? Like, why? Raise money. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. What a weird thing to, like, yeah, sell. Yeah, no, I was like, there's probably more humane things to do. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, so in 1960, Indianapolis Mayor Charles Boswell appointed Jim director of the local Human Rights Commission. Um, The mayor told Jim it would be best for him to keep a low profile, but Jim did not do that. He wanted to do whatever he could do to gain exposure and build a following, including sharing his views on radio stations and television. Um, during this time, Jones also helped uh, to racially integrate churches, restaurants, the telephone company, the Indianapolis Police Department, a theater and amusement park, and the Indiana University Health Mes- Methodist Hospital, which wow. is great. Yeah, it's incredible. So he was accidentally placed in the black ward of a hospital after a collapse in 1961, but refused to be moved. He began to make the beds, uh, the beds and empty hello (laughs) hang on uh he began to make the beds and empty the bedpans of black patients political pressures resulting from jones's actions caused hospital officials to desegregate the wards so go jim that's pretty cool you know yeah but he also set up sting operations to catch restaurants refusing to serve black customers and wrote to american nazi leaders passing their responses to the media so Lots of stuff. Wow, he's, okay. He's doing so lots he's, of stuff. he's writing to Nazis? Yeah. yeah. Why to just like show how evil they are? No, I don't. I think it was like. I don't really know. That was straight from Wikipedia, so. Okay. <laughs> We're just gonna move past it. But he obviously was using like the Adolf Hitler's manipulation yeah. tactic. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sure it was something like, oh, look at how they do it, you know? They're, I, I don't know. I'm being dumb. Hello. But so, <laughs> um, so Jones received considerable criticism in Indiana for his integrationalist views. Likewise, white owned businesses and locals were critical of him. A swastika was placed on the temple. Um, a stick of dynamite was left in a temple coal pile. A dead cat was thrown at Jones's house after threatening, after a threatening phone call and other incidents, incidents like that occurred. A dead cat? Dude, yeah. don't fuck with cats. <laughs> Come on, what did the cat do? I mean, I don't know. What a, like, why wouldn't you just throw a brick? Why the dead cat? I guess it's like a warning. Well, no shit, but like, yeah. they're... Anyway. Yeah, but... So, Jones and his wife adopted several non-white children, referring to his household as his rainbow family, and stating that integration is more a personal thing with me now. It's a question of my son's future. He also uh, portrayed the temple as a rainbow family, um, which became a really popular thing with his congregation. And in 1954, he and his wife adopted Agnes, who was a part Native American, and they adopted three Korean American children named Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne um, in 1959. And in June of 1959, the couple had their only biological child, naming him Stephan Gandhi, and in 1961, they became the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child, naming him Jim Jones Jr. Um, they also adopted a white son, originally named Timothy Glenn Tupper, um, whose well, it was shortened to Tim, and whose birth mother was a member of the People's Temple. So, big wow. family. Interesting. So yeah. you adopted a kid from one of your um, church members. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, and then they named their one of their adopted or no their their only biological child after gandhi mm-hmm. wow yeah Stephen gandhi this is a it's a really strange family <laughs> yeah but i mean at the time it was i don't know it was it was very controversial and yeah huge the first ever yeah it's so, insane so jim is breaking ground he is which is why it's like so tragic that all of this yeah, other I know. stuff it's happened. like you could have been so much better jim i know it's sad so in the mid 1960s jones moved his small congregation to northern california 
settling first in Redwood Valley in Mendocino County. Um, but then in the early 1970s, relocated his organization's headquarters to San Francisco um, and then later opened a temple in Los Angeles as well. So in San Francisco, Jones became a very powerful figure. The People's Temple went from having under 100 followers to thousands. Um, Jim wanted to continue growing his followers as much as he could, and he began doing these cross-city bus tours to visit all of these people and speak to them and just spread his good word, you know? So, so he's he, on tour. Yeah, literally. He's on <laughs> religious tour. He's on the road. Yeah. Um, and he would get um, these old vans and repair them, and as many followers as he could fit in, he would bring with him to, to you know, spread his teachings and stuff. So it really was like a religious tour with groupies and everything. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and at this time in America, it was, you know, Vietnam and civil rights marches and assassinations were happening. So thousands of Americans flocked to hear Jim Jones's sermons. So Jones's early speeches had a lot to do with socialist ideals and Christian redemption. Stephen Jones, one of Jim Jones's sons, said on some level, we were all wanting to wanting to belong. Some turned to the temple because they wanted help and others wanted to serve humanity. Whatever the people wanted, Jim Jones made sure the temple had it. One of Jones's big things was he claimed he had special powers to heal the sick, like we talked about earlier, his, you know, healing. Yeah, he can fix here. broken legs. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and he would do these staged healings at temple meetings. Yeah, whatever you wanted to hear or see from Jim Jones, he would show it to you. So as his popularity grew, he talked less about the Bible and even more about social activism. Jones's message of social equality and racial justice attracted a, a diverse group of followers, including idealistic young people who wanted to do something meaningful with their lives. Um, he was quoted to say, if you're born in, in capitalist America, racist America, fascist America, then you're born in sin. But if you're born in, in socialism, you're not born in sin. Okay. Very straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, very black and white with this <laughs> yeah, guy. Right. Cool. Um, so Jones began calling Christianity a flyaway religion and rejecting the Bible as being a tool to oppress women and non-whites and denouncing a sky god who was no god at all. Okay, and he's replacing it with, with his own book, or himself. Yeah. Is he going to so, write a book, do the book tour? <laughs> yeah, no, another tour. No. Um, <laughs> so former temple member Hugh Fortson Jr. quoted him saying, um, What you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. As you see me as your father, I'll be your father. And for those of you that don't have a father, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. So he's wow. very much like savior Man of the complex. People. Yeah. yeah. And his followers actually called him father. So, uh, yeah. That's so weird to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a cult. It's very much a cult. Oh, yeah. We're full cult at yeah. this point. So he called himself a prophet and a savior um, who would guide, protect, and watch over his followers. He devoted his followers to, uh, we already said this, to call him his father. And many signed over their paychecks, possessions, and homes. Wow. Yeah. We're going to get into so more than uh, that, too. So. so I would assume the funds are piling up. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. How yeah. much? I don't have a number, but we're going to talk more about just how much his followers were. Just like the whole paycheck. The whole thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oof. Yeah. So by 1977, New West Magazine estimated the number of People's Temple members at 20,000. Um, and at the height of his power, uh, a darker side of Jim Jones emerged. So Jim had a lot of older people following him, and he started convincing them to sell their homes to donate the money to the church. And people did it. Wow. Yeah. In return, Jim ended up making several houses that these members could all live in together and be taken care of. Um, the People's Temple ran social and medical programs for the needy, including a free dining hall, drug rehabilitation, and legal aid services. So all of these programs took a lot of manpower to make happen. So how they made that happen was through the work of tons of volunteers. Most people who were volunteering would end up quitting their jobs to spend as much time working for the church as they could. Some even spent 20 hours a day working for the church. Technically, they weren't really volunteers because they were getting paid, but the deal was they would have to give back their entire paychecks to the church. So, so they're not. So they're, they're not. getting like fed. 
Yeah, they're getting fed and they have like programs and stuff like that. So, so they're getting all their needs met yes. and then they're giving their paycheck back to them. So like, why even pay them in the first place? Well, they were given a weekly allowance of $5. Bro, <laughs> who can live on $5 even back then? Well, I mean, if you think about it, they, they didn't have to use their $5 to live because they were fed and they were housed and they were, they had medical services and they had, you know, like they, they were taken care of by Jim Jones, but he was using them as like kind of slave labor a little bit. Pretty much, but... But also, but it's not. But they like, were happy about it. Like, yeah, the but they were weren't. Happy about it. Yeah, they weren't forced to. No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Ooh, so okay. Yeah. So. Do tell. Yeah. So you'd think that this would turn people away, but it actually made the people even more loyal to him, and they saw him as kind of a god because he was so high above them and was taking care of them. You yeah, know. Please let me disconnect you from your family, and anything that you might need will come from me. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, so one really weird thing that Jim told his followers that everyone was... Hello? There's someone yelling outside. We'll just give it a second. I'll reset. Is he that. praising Jim Jones? Is that what I hear? <laughs> Jim Jones, our savior and prophet? Is he healing someone? Is that a broken leg? <laughs> Your leg is no longer broken! <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so like I was saying, one really weird thing that Jim told his followers was that everyone but him was homosexual. So wait, what? He told he, he's all the only his, straight person. Mm-hmm, that's what he told his followers. Okay. He said every guy is gay and every girl was lesbian except for him. Okay. Yeah, and right. he that told makes them, sense. Yeah, I mean that's very forward. Not going to question like, that at all. No, that you want my paycheck? <laughs> makes perfect sense. Um, he told them that having sex was selfish and that no one should be having it at all because that time and energy should be going back into the church. Wow. So. Damn. Okay, this kind of sounds more like akin to the Branch Davidians from Waco. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. What is his name? David something. I don't remember. Guy, his the leader maybe guy. We'll, maybe we'll cover that story because there were a few survivors. Yeah, but he something about he he was the only one who could have sex. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of how it it's was. Kind of what like, it he is. Was, he was kind of picking and choosing who he wanted to sleep with and stuff. Like okay, that. but he said that everyone's gay, but you can't even have sex. Nope. So. Why does everyone need to be gay? I don't know. I guess nobody can a, have sex. Yeah, I guess it was just a further way to like deter them from having sex. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, who knows? But so um, at this time, the, assass- the assassinations of JFK and Martin Luther King had already happened. So times were very dark and felt very hopeless. But Jim's followers were hopeful because they were convinced that they were going to be building a better world. Um, He became increasingly paranoid during this time since JFK and Martin Luther King were trying to bring about social social change and they were killed for it. And so he began to believe that the government would try to come after him. Um, I mean, obviously, he's far lower than both of those people, but sure. (laughs) But he still, you know, had this God complex and was like, well, now they're going to come after me. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, at this point, uh, Jim started taking drugs. He claimed... Oh, this is going to help. Yeah, no, this yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> it's yep. going to be great. <laughs> so uh, this is the point where uh, he claimed he needed to self-medicate for his kidneys, but uh, they were things were quickly going downhill, and he became increasingly more unhinged. So um, what drugs is he on? I don't know specifically what drugs Anything. he was on, but he was on quite a few drugs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've heard Coke is good for your kidneys. <laughs> Really, cl- oh, it's like yeah? a cleanse. I'm on a Coke cleanse. Oh, love that. That's great. <laughs> I mean, it, LA. it's low carb. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> low cal. It's vegan friendly. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, so one of Jim's former temple members got an article accusing, uh, he, an article together, like wrote the article accusing Jones of physical and sexual abuse, mind control, and forced druggings. This member was also trying to get an, in, an an investigation into the church. So former members described being forced to give up their belongings, their homes, and even custody of their children. They told, yeah, they told of being subjected to beatings and said Jones staged fake cancer healings. So that was, you know, the same like healing sermons. Yeah. Faith healing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Taking custody of their children is just like a whole nother step. Yeah. I mean, he's father. I know, but like, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah, that just seems like another level. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so when Jim caught wind of this unflattering media attention and potentially or, and potential investigations, he invited his congregation to move with him to Guyana, where he promised them that they would build a socialist utopia. So where's Guyana? South America. Okay. Yeah. And this is a city, country. Uh, it's low-key the jungle <laughs> but, it's the jungle i mean there's there's like other cities around but not in that where they were going like the nearest uh city was georgetown and that was like 150 miles away or something like that oh so, so straight up in the middle of fucking nowhere jungle 150 One, miles in the yes. middle of nowhere yes okay so is this a region or is this a country i've never heard of guyana i think it's a country i think it's a country i think wow why don't you Google it? You want to Google it? I got it. Bitch, I Googled this whole thing. <laughs> Obviously not. You don't know if it's a country. Oh my God. Get wrecked. It's a country. Wow, I'm dumb. Yeah. Okay. Thinking I'm telling you false shit. I know what I'm talking about. Okay, fine. Okay. All right. So. Well, I learned something new. Anyway. In December of 1975, Jim and 90 other members hopped on a plane and landed near Guyana to start building their new community. And at this, uh, and this was pretty much acres and acres of jungle, straight up in the middle of nowhere, but they set out to build what was to be a socialist, a socialist paradise on earth. And Jones named the settlement Jonestown after himself. Wow, surprising. Right. Also, this is this is weird. Like the capital is Georgetown, and then he I named know. it and he's Jonestown. Like, well, I can do that too, Jonestown. <laughs> it's like Georgetown, um, obviously, like a not uh, of of the native like. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I trying to say? I don't know. It was definitely founded by white people. That's what I'm Maybe. trying to say. Maybe I don't know. To be honest, Georgetown. But, I mean, it sounds silly but anyway so the idea was that they would set up this community and they would live the way they wanted to without the scrutiny of the outside world um after the first people were sent down there they were they sent videos back to the people's temple members who were still in the states showing them how great it was um how they had everything set up they had total freedom and acceptance and there was nothing to be worried about there Mm -hmm. nothing to see (laughs) nothing to see here investigation Not yet. So even as the allegations in the U.S. intensified um, against Jim Jones, temple members continued to flock to Jonestown. As many as 500 people flew down there to continue building it. Um, And Jim was still respected by many people for setting up a racially mixed church, which helped the disadvantaged. And actually, 68% of Jonestown residents were black. So Jim Jones labeled the attack on him as a government conspiracy to take down the people's temple, and he and his followers continued to deny what was being said about him. But the thing about Jonestown was, once you were there, you weren't really allowed to leave. So, (laughs) not great. Okay. Um, Yeah. But what if I don't want to leave? Well, a lot of people didn't want to leave, but some people did. Um, And what happened to those people? Lots of stuff. So rumors began to circulate that Jim Jones was keeping people in Jonestown by blackmailing them and saying that they had done illegal things and he would expose them to to the police if they ever tried to leave. And also much more than that, including like punishments and beatings and stuff like that. So at its peak in 1978, Jonestown grew to just under 900 members and was starting to get a bit overcrowded. But they had everything they need. Uh, like a clinic and a daycare and stores and restaurants. But anyone who lived there was a full-time employee of Jim, and he basically owned them. They were working crazy hours because he had convinced them that any time they weren't working, they were taking away from the church. Um, People were scared to take breaks or sleep too long because they were scared to disappoint Jim. Wow. So on top of being brainwashed, now they're sleep-deprived? Yeah. And they were also... Um, like underfed because Jonestown was not equipped to handle as many people as came down. So, and also apparently they ruined the topsoil so they couldn't really grow anything there. So for like three days or three meals a day, people were eating rice, like just rice and like also not a lot of it. So they're they're starving and malnourished and sleep deprived. Yep. 
And um, scared because and scared it shitless scary because they're 150 miles away from civilization. Yeah, and more than that. So, religious scholar Mary McCormick Maga argues that that Jones's authority um, decreased after he moved to the isolated commune because, like I said earlier, he was becoming increasingly unhinged and he could not hide his drug addiction from his mem- from members. His son Stefan said that Jim knew how big of a fraud he was. He was very aware that he was a bad and sick person, and but he just didn't want anyone else to know. So Jones began to propagate his beliefs, his belief in what he termed translation or revolutionary suicide. Um, once they were in Jonestown, which basically meant, should something happen, he and his followers would all die together and move to another planet to live blissfully. Whoa. Yeah. So soon after this, Jim decided to test the loyalty of his followers at church one day by passing out little cups of punch. Then... Oh, this is where Drink the Kool-Aid comes from. This is, yes. This story is where Drink the Kool-Aid originated. Yes. Um, and so then after everyone had drank some of it, he told them it was poison. Um, so people started freaking out, but then he told them that it was a drill and that he was just testing their loyalty. So... He said, because if something were to happen, like if the CIA were to capture them, he'd rather them all die than be captured. Which, I mean, that's just how he was describing it, was they'd be captured instead of saved. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, of course. Of course. I mean, he needs to keep those claws in as deeply as possible, you know? Right. So, um, there was another thing he would do. So, Jim would have what he called a white knight with his followers very regularly, pretty much weekly, um, which was almost like a fire drill. So there would be a siren or an announcement that would come through the pavilion um, or for them to come to the pavilion immediately because it was a life or death situation. The community was being threatened um, and they just needed to get there right now. So that's kind of what it was. So during, the, during a white night, the congregation would drink the pretend poison. Um, and white knights were used by Jim Jones to create an atmosphere of fear and desperation with his followers. He would call an assembly, and there would be people with guns who would surround them. Um, so Vernon Gosney, who was a follower of the People's Temple from 1974 to 1978, and a part of Jonestown for eight months, said that the people surrounding the assembly with guns were people he had known for years who had never held guns before, and they weren't pointed outward, they were pointed inward toward the crowd. These white nights would happen very regularly and would go on for hours at times, leaving everyone terrified and exhausted. Um, the white nights also would sometimes include rehearsal of mass suicide. Like I said, they would drink the punch. So um, it was a test of faith and loyalty. Wait, so the people who are, quote unquote, surrounding them with guns are just church members? They're just, yeah, just church members who were like appointed as security. But they weren't like securing the outside they were pointing inside okay so they're keeping in yes as the like at the members wow yeah and if you hear the flute in the background just it's just a little background music hey yep we've uh we have a new musical background Mm -hmm. as part of the podcast definitely not one of our neighbors just practicing flute yep but so okay um so tempo members worked long days in the fields and were subjected to harsh punishments if they questioned jones's authority their passports and medications were confiscated and they were plagued by mosquitoes and tropical diseases so these armed guards also patrolled the compound at all times and the members were encouraged to inform on one another um and their letters and phone calls were also censored so he like everyone wow. in Jonestown was a narc and no one was safe saying anything at any time because if anyone was heard saying anything negative they'd get pretty much beaten so wow so yeah. this is the uh socialist ideal or communist ideal i suppose so um so Vernon Gosney first came to Jonestown with his four-year-old son after the death of his wife. He decided to go to Jonestown initially to become a good socialist and to just generally gain what he was lacking within himself. He said as soon as he got there, he regretted it and wanted to leave. But like we said earlier, that was not allowed. He had confided in his roommate that he wanted to leave because at one time his roommate had tried to escape but had been severely punished. Um, It was a huge risk to be talking about wanting to leave. So 
members would get punished if they talked about leaving the group or if they had sexual interactions with each other. Um, and they just had overall super controlling rules. And these punishments would include public shaming, spanking people, beating them, um, you know, just a lot of stuff. So there was most likely more occurrences than just one, but Jim was caught raping a woman on a bus and he claimed he was doing it for her. Oh my so, God. Yeah. He's quite unhinged at this time. So, um, Jim- He's literally a dictator. He is. He's terrible. He's, he's, he has a God complex like no other. Like yeah. He, yeah. So Jim also encouraged members to turn on their families within and outside of Jonestown. So if someone had their whole family in Jonestown and one of them broke a rule, they should shame their family members or even turn to violence. Dude, um, this sounds like North Korea. It really does. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess it does. But so... One of the survivors of Jonestown, Tom Bogue, had, had experienced this kind of punishment. So Tom and his friend Brian attempted to escape, but were caught. The two were dragged back into the central pavilion, and they were publicly shamed. Jim screamed terrible things at them while the crowd cheered him on, but the most shocking was Tom's own mother said during the punishment, I think, I think both of you should be shot now, and I think I should be allowed to do it. Whoa. Yeah. Their mother? Mm-hmm. That's where she's at. That's where they're all at. Like, that, he encouraged this, like, intense, like, bloodlust and, you know, violence even between family members, you know? Wow. So, Jim also encouraged the shaming of family members who chose not to come to Jonestown. One of the members was recorded saying, quote, I'd like to take my so-called dad and my sister and stab them to death with a pair of scissors and run a, uh, run them piece by piece through a garbage disposal. And the crowd cheered along and Jim loved it. Whoa. Yep. So Jim was still abusing drugs and was super paranoid, slurring his words and just generally losing his shit. So he installed loudspeakers all around the community and he would talk through them all day and all night and he would just go on rants about how they were under attack. So in the fall of 1977, an ex-Temple member started a group called Concerned Relatives Group, which was a group dedicated to helping family members who were still in Jonestown and brainwashed by Jim and to bring the truth about what was going on to Congress and government officials. And they went to, you know, government officials and asked for an investigation. And so that, in combination with the article that was published about the truth about Jim, got U.S. Congressman Leo J. Ryan, along with his aide, Jackie Spear, to fly to Guyana to investigate on November 14th, 1978. Wait, so just two, a congressman and his aide are going to go investigate? Like, just the two of them? Um, well... Yeah, them and also reporters from newspapers and... Um, Are they bringing, like, the FBI? No. Like, no cops? Well, I'm, no. Uh, well, I think they may have had a couple security members, but not, like, much. Sounds like a bad idea. It, it was. And actually, Jackie Spear um, is, a con is, I think, currently a congresswoman? Really? Yeah. So 50, wait, yeah, 40, 40 or 50 years later. Uh, I don't know when she became a congresswoman. You said it's 78, yeah. right? Yeah. So damn. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So 14 relatives of Jonestown followers also attended to see if their family members were okay. So it's, you know, these, it's, you know, the congressman and, you know, the future congresswoman and, uh, reporters and relatives. So that's so they're doing like a wellness check. Yes. They are doing a wellness, wellness check. And so the congressman was supposed to go down there to basically investigate and see if everything was okay. So, Oh, I don't like where this is going. Not great. She's not um, coming back. Is what? she said so she's not coming back. Is she who the congresswoman? Um, well, how would she become a congresswoman if she didn't come back? Well, like, eventually. But, like, do they trap her there? Well, you'll just have to listen and find out. Tell me. I'm, I'm going to tell you. You're, you're I'm Anson. <laughs> okay, I'm great. Jonesing. So, you're 
Jonesen. Okay, so <laughs> when Jim caught wind of this incoming investigation, he freaked the fuck out. Um, he went through all of these scenarios in his head and at one point even threatened to kill the congressman and everyone who was coming to threaten Jonestown. Um, so Congressman Ryan, relatives of the members, and NBC camera crew and reporters for various newspapers flew to Guyana and were transported to Jonestown. So the night they arrived, Jim planned a ceremony to welcome them. They had dancers and everyone was in a great mood. So Jim had convinced everyone to be in high spirits so the congressman wouldn't find out anything. Um, but while the party was going on, some members stated slipping notes to the camera people and reporters saying they needed to get out of there. Um, that's when Congressman Ryan realized there was something really dark going on there. So when the congressman approached Jim with a note that had been passed to him, Jim said the person was lying and was just trying to get attention. He insisted that Jonestown wasn't holding anyone captive. Um, during that afternoon, a member of the People's Temple came up to Congressman Ryan with a knife in an attempt to try and attack him and kill him. Um, so at that point, his team was like, uh, we gotta go. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, time to go. Time to go. Um, but as, My Uber's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, my Uber's here. It's in the jungle. So um, as they were getting to, uh, ready to leave, Congressman Ryan was recorded with blood on his shirt, which was being broadcasted back to the States. And when people in the U.S. saw the blood, they were like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, shit's about to get yeah, serious like, right what now. what is going on? So when it was time for... Um, Ryan and his crew to leave, some temple members escorted them back to their plane. Uh, and as they got to the landing strip, some of the members of the church started shooting at them, open fire. They're shooting at a congressperson? Yeah. And oh. reporters and relatives and, yeah. Um, yeah, the FBI is about to come down on these bitches. Yeah. So, Congressman Leo Ryan, NBC reporter Don Harris, NBC cameraman Bob Brown, and San Francisco examiner photographer Greg Robinson, Robinson, and a Temple member all ended up dying from their gunshot wounds. Wait, how many people? Uh, one, two, three, <clears throat> four, five, five. Wow. Yeah. So... NBC soundman Steve Sung said he was laying face down on the ground with his arm over his head when the temple members approached the group after some of the gunshots. He said they shot Bob Brown in the leg to see if he was still alive, and when he screamed out in pain, they shot him in the head. Um, oh my god. Yeah, and he was laying right next to Stephen. So Stephen knew he was next, and when they shot his arm to see if he was still alive, he didn't move. Um, he said the fact that his arm was over his head protected him because it went into his arm and didn't go into his brain. So, wow. yeah, so he survived and he made it out of there. Um, yeah, so the bodies were flown back to the U.S. And once Jim realized that they were going to be in deep doo-doo because of this. Deep doo-doo. <laughs> oh, my God. You just threatened a congressperson of the United he States. He killed a congressman. Oh, the he congressman killed died. the congressman. Yes. Wow, I missed that. Okay, yeah. you killed a U.S. congressman. Yeah. Yeah, you're like... In deep doo-doo. Yeah, the entire military is going to descend on that place within like 48 hours. So, yeah. So he knew that he was in deep shit, and he made a huge speech as a last-ditch effort to keep everyone at Jonestown. He told everyone that the congressman had been shot and the government was coming after them. Um, and that they were going to torture them and their children. That's what he told his people. He's like, the, the government's going to come and they're going to torture us. Is he schizophrenic? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe. I mean, he's just I mean, the paranoia. Drugs. Yeah, I mean that. But like, also, the, like, this conspiracy is, like, paranoia. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, so Jim told them the only way to save themselves was if they all killed themselves. Because if they can't live in peace, they must die in peace. So he made the cyanide, cyanide laced grape flavorade, which is like Kool-Aid, 
um, and one of the members stood up and tried to convince him that death wasn't the only way and she wanted her children to live. She said she didn't want her children to go through this and she, she just needed to leave Jonestown. And at that moment, she was shot and killed by one of the guards. Whoa. Yeah. Just immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when the other people realized that there was no choice and started drinking the Kool-Aid. So, oh my God. Yeah. It wasn't a mass suicide. It was mass murder. Like there was, there were people that, I mean, were still brainwashed by Jim Jones and did take it willingly, but there was a lot of other ways that people died that wasn't because they wanted to. Yeah. So some of them who were resisting were forced to drink it and some were even injected with it. Um, some were beaten or killed other ways. So people who had drank it were dropping like flies and mothers were giving it to their children and everyone started dying. And at the end of this, Jim shot himself. The final death toll, including the airstrip killings and Jones himself totaled 918 people. Holy shit. Lots, lots of people. Among the dead were 304 children whose parents forced cyanide-filled syringes into their mouths um, of those too young to sip from cups. So, um, there were only a small few people who managed to escape into the jungle. So one thing that was found in Jonestown was a note that read, To whoever finds this note, collect all the tapes, all the writings, all the history, the stories of this movement of the action must be examined over and over. We did not want this kind of ending. We wanted to live, to shine, to bring light to a world that was dying for a little bit of love. There's uh, quiet as we leave this world. The sky is gray. People file by slowly taking the somewhat bitter drink. Many more must drink. A teeny kitten sits next to us watching. A dog barks. A bird gathers on the, on the telephone wires. Let all the stories of the people's temple be told. If nobody understands, it matters not. I'm ready to die now. The darkness settles over Jonestown on its last day on Earth. Wow. Yeah. So. Do we know who wrote that? No, it was just found. It was just one of the People's Temple members who killed themselves. So, so now we're going to get to the few survivor stories. How did they survive? There were a couple different ways. So Jackie Spear was of one of the survivors. She said she was very unsettled by their initial greeting. Um, you know, like I said earlier, they had that ceremony for them to arrive and there was cheering and dancing and parties and whatever. And she was like over the top. Yeah. She said the cheering and the applause went on for just a little too long. And it was like very eerie. Yeah. Um, and she said before that she knew there was something really wrong with Jonestown. So she went in knowing that this place was creepy and then it just mm -hmm. it proved her right um she was shot five times at point blank range um five times yeah she waited nearly 24 hours for medical attention and she has a book called undaunted surviving jonestown summoning courage and fighting back wow where was she shot i don't know where she was shot but she was shot five times and survived so. point blank mm -hmm. 24 hours so she's bleeding did she get airlifted like how did yeah. they get out yeah i mean the people, in from jonestown i mean it was on an airstrip so they had like little little planes that would have to like they land planes in. okay yeah land in so um yeah she said the whole right side of her body was blown up and she had a bone coming out of her right arm oh. um she said that she decided she wouldn't label herself as a victim but a survivor and she dedicated her life to public service. So, And is a congressperson today. And is a congresswoman today, yeah. So um, another survivor was Tracy Parks. And one of she was one of the few survivors who actually managed to escape into the jungle that day. So the members that weren't willingly drinking the Kool-Aid were being killed in other ways, including being shot at. And she recalls kneeling on the rain-soaked, muddy airstrip in Guyana, cradling her mother's lifeless body in her hands, shaking her in desperate attempt to wake her up. As the explosions of gunfire were happening around her, Tracy and her father, or her father screamed to her to run into the jungle. So Tracy, who was then 12, looked up to see her older sister Brenda sprinting across the airport runway toward the dark wall of trees. Before she knew it, she was running right behind her, racing toward the dense rainforest. 
the sisters survived in the dense jungle for three days before staggering back out to the airstrip. Um, I'm not sure how her brother survived, but she said, my brother broke the news to me little by little as the doctors were nursing me back. Oh, so maybe he was in the States. This is maybe when she got back. Um, so Wait, I'm confused. So they survived three days into the jungle and then were rescued back to America? Or did they come back to see everyone dead? I don't think they actually went back into Jonestown and saw everyone dead, but they were airlifted at least to Georgetown and then probably back to the States. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, because there were a couple people who made it to Georgetown and that's how they survived. So, wow. yeah. Yeah, so Parks lost five family members in the massacre, and she was one of the youngest people's temple members to escape. Um, she said, this wasn't suicide, this was murder. Those children didn't want to die, and neither did many of the adults. So that is her little story. Um, another a survivor was Leslie Wagner Wilson, and she joined the People's Temple at 13 because she had a sister who had a drug problem, and the People's Temple had a youth drug rehab program. So she said her first experience that showed something was wrong was on her first day of school when someone told her that she wasn't allowed to talk to anyone but the temple kids. She said she was very enthusiastic because of what it represented. Um, she said it didn't matter who you were, you could just be there, which was, you know, obviously why a lot of people joined. Um, she said Jim Jones was both charismatic and frightening. She said he could show you so much love and know everything about you, um, and he could relate to anyone. But in the same breath, he would tell someone to beat you because you slept during a service or talked back to someone. She said at first, daily life was wonderful. She said she went to Jonestown with her husband, her three-year-old son, her brother, and her mother came two months before the tragedy. As Jonestown started to get more crowded, they started to receive less food. Um, like we talked about earlier, they messed up the topsoil and couldn't grow anything, so they were just eating rice for three meals a day, and the children were definitely underfed. She said Jim, Jones, Jim Jones didn't want to be in Jonestown himself. Um, Jim had informants throughout the camp that would report back to anyone saying anything negative about him or Jonestown. And she said it was really difficult because her husband was one of the armed guards and she couldn't talk to him about anything. Oh my God. So yeah. your husband is fully a part of it. Yeah. And she couldn't talk to him at all. Wow. So she left the morning of the congressman, uh, the morning the congressman was going to leave Jonestown. So right before... They were all shot up. She left. Wow. Yeah. So she had the sense that something was. Oh yeah. She happen. said she said the mood in the camp that day was very eerie, and she said you could cut it with a knife. It was like the feeling of coming death. That's how she described it. Wow. Mm -hmm. So she knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she was able to get away nine around nine that morning. Um, she went to her mother and told her that she was going to a picnic, and her mother knew what that meant. She said she was able to hug and kiss her mother goodbye, not knowing that that would be the last time she ever saw her. Wow. Yeah. So, so it was just her? Did she take her kids? Her son. Yeah, she took her son. And she was able to make it to Georgetown um, by, I guess, a plane. I don't know how she made it there, but she made it there. So now we move on to Laura Johnson. She joined the People's Temple in California um, when she was 22 years old. And she said, my life was in turmoil, I had a failed marriage, and I was looking for a place to be political in a safer environment after a series of bad decisions. Um, she said, I, have no, I had no concerns about moving there. I was adventurous, and I was delighted about the opportunity to live in the rainforest. Um, at the end of October, Laura was attacked by Jones to move to Georgetown. Oh, no, not attacked. <laughs> Hang on. Convinced? Asked. Shamed? <laughs> I, I, read, I read asked as attacked. Okay, hang on. Cool. <laughs> so, so at the end of October, Laura was asked by Jones to move to Georgetown. Um, the Guyanese capital uh, was Georgetown, and it was a 24-hour boat ride away to work with the church headquarters. She believed her relocation was a calculated move by Jones, brought on because of growing scrutiny um, and an impending visit by California Congressman Leo Ryan. 
Um, Jim Jones looked at zealots like Laura, people who would speak positively about the People's Temple, and stacked the deck in Georgetown for Congressman Ryan's visit. So he was, like, placing people there to, like, talk good about Jonestown. Mm. Yeah. So Laura said Jim Jones was a con artist. He made everyone feel like he was their father. He would say to them, you can't go back. You have no money, which was true. Um, they had put it all in the church. Back at the Guyana headquarters, 150 miles away, members were alerted to the order. There's a quote that says, Jim Jones's secretary, Aaron Amos, received a message on the radio sent to Georgetown. Um, and Laura recalls, it said, everybody in Jonestown is dying or dead. Everybody else needs to commit revolutionary suicide right now. We are all doing it right now. Laura says two of Jones's children who were visiting the Capitol as a part of the temple's basketball team refused to follow instruction and told other branches to disregard them. She had been out of the building when the message arrived and returned to find Guyanese National Defense Forces bringing out the body bags for Secretary and her children. It's hard. I'm confused. What just happened? So, what happened was the people who were representing Jonestown in Georgetown received mm. a letter or a, a message saying that they were all committing revolutionary suicide. And so, some of them committed suicide. In but, Georgetown? In Georgetown. But uh, Jim Jones's two sons, who were in Georgetown at the time for their basketball team, uh, said to disregard the message and don't do that. Wow. So, okay. So, so they probably saved a few lives. They did, for sure. And Laura was one of them. Um, she said she had been out of the building when the message arrived and returned to find the Guyanese National Defense Forces bringing out body bags for the secretary and her children. Um, she said, it's hard to know what would have happened if I and the others in Georgetown had received those instructions. She said, we had options there. You could walk down the street and see people get in a car or get in an embassy. Um, I think if I were in Jonestown and I saw 900 people who I loved make a choice, I can't imagine wanting to survive that. So she's like, I get it. Wow, you know? but it wasn't a choice for, for most of them. Yeah, no, sounds like it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. But she said it would be hard to not if she were there. You know, yeah. I mean, for many reasons. But I don't know. But she she returned to the U.S. at the end of November 1978 and moved back into the People's Temple community in California. A decision that she says was she had no qualms about. They were my family. I had lived with them for eight years. I knew them immediately, uh, or intimately. She says, I never had any fears. Jim Jones was the only one who was invested in the deaths. We had gone through this collective trauma together and it made sense to go through the healing together. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame her. It's the community that you know best and that's yeah. where you feel at home. Yeah, absolutely. I don't blame her, but. So I, I would imagine that minus Jim, it's probably a good congregation. Yeah, and that's what a lot of survivors said. They were, They were like, you know, this was a really beautiful place for a long time, you know, and it, and what they were, what they joined for and what they believed together was not negative at all. And the only thing that really happened to turn it so negative was Jim Jones, you know, he, yeah. he, I don't know if it was the drugs or he just became, I mean, he, it was the drugs. He became more increasingly paranoid and he just had a, an insane God complex and was treating people really terribly. But it started as a good place, you know? Yeah. But, you know, the reason he moved there was, was to escape to investigation. Escape. Yeah. So, I mean, for the people that, you know, went at first, he it was because he told them they were going to build this beautiful utopia and they believed that. But for him, it was for another reason. Right. Do you know why he picked uh, Guyana? I mean, it was away from the U.S.? I don't know. I don't know. Just, like, the why jungle. specifically there? I don't know why specifically there, but, I mean, it was very... Saw it on a postcard? Maybe. It, I mean, it was very isolated. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was in the middle of the jungle. It was very difficult to get there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but I'm just wondering if he, like, randomly picked it. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't random, but it also... I don't know. Cool. Yeah. So that is the story of Jonestown. 
So in total, there were four, four survivors? There were more than that, but those were just a couple of the stories that I found of the survivors. Um, but it was a very small, select few. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought um, when you were talking about uh, the two girls that escaped through the airfield into the jungle, mm-hmm. I thought when you said that they ran away into the jungle for three days, I thought you meant that they came back to Jonestown Mm-mm. to find everyone dead and no, like just Jonestown... survived off of whatever food they have left. No, I mean, I don't think they ever made it back to see everyone there, um, but they did know what happened. And there is f- lots of footage of Jonestown, um, you know, when it was thriving and when it was deteriorating. And then when they have the footage from the uh, the congressman visiting and all the news reporters who were there, there's lots of footage of Jonestown. So... And Did they record, like, when they were trying to get out? I don't think so. No. Um, but, you know, they also have footage of all of the bodies everywhere. Wow. Like, it, it's eerie. It is like... I can't even imagine it's being just, the first responder there. No, I mean, I don't even... I mean, you're just going to a... a just Massacre. A, a massacre. Yeah. A field of bodies everywhere. Wow. Yeah, so... Lots of stuff. And if you're interested, there's a lot of stuff out there to, to look into and, and see. He's a really crazy guy. And he, like, you know, when they were talking about um, him talking on the loudspeakers and stuff all through the night, like, he would rant and scream about how they were under attack and how, you know, they needed to commit revolutionary suicide, like, throughout the entire night. Like, one of the survivors, yeah, Leslie Wagner Wilson, she talked about him um talking over the loudspeaker and she was like it was every single night and he would scream into these loudspeakers for the entire um compound to hear and she would fall asleep to his like screaming oh my god it was that normal yes that you would just fall asleep yeah she i mean she had to you know like yeah, you have to he would but... he wouldn't stop so if you either didn't sleep at all or you fell asleep to his when did he paranoid sleep? screaming i don't know maybe during the day you know, because he wasn't working in the fields. He was just kind of walking around and being father. Yeah, I guess so. It sounds like he probably might have been on meth. Yeah, I mean, like he the was paranoia tracks and then like this all this fucking energy. Yeah. Where else would it come from? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a crazy place. Yeah, no shit. To say the least. Yeah. Wow. But that is Jonestown, and that is where the uh, the phrase "Don't drink the Kool Aid" originated from, because they drank the Kool Aid. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Oof. So, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have something positive? Or positive something this else? week. <laughs> I do. Um, this week, uh, weather in January in LA. Oh, is yeah. 80 degrees and we got to go out to the beach that's true yesterday that was nice that was sweet mm-hmm. um and it's just very foreign to me yeah because i'm from michigan and the winter is like i don't know it's like 30 degrees there right now mm-hmm. snowing mm-hmm. and it, <laughs> this is indistinguishable from summer yeah for me. as is new york that's where i'm from originally yeah. so uh, yeah. All right. Well, my good thing is that we are going to eat yummy food later. Oh, yeah. We're going to get Some Dave's fried. hot chicken. chicken. Um, so that's exciting because that's all I have to look forward to right now is yummy food. <laughs> um, Amen. Yeah, but yeah. All right. Well, let's plug the socials. Um, so if you would like to follow us on Instagram and see any pictures or links we post about the cases we fought, we cover follow us on instagram at not today underscore podcast um if you or anyone you know has a story of survival or or true crime or paranormal or anything please send us an email at notodaypodcast at gmail.com um we're starting a tiktok and that's not today podcast so follow us there if you'd like to have some fun yep and uh just keep breathing yeah yeah